0: Uh, Hello?
1: Hello? Hello. Hey, must avoid carpal tunnel syndrome. Thank you so much for having the chance to chat. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll tell you what, I was actually uh, enjoying hiding behind text. You get a lot more time to uh, buy time while you collect your thoughts. I don't know how you manage it to talk for 40 minutes without pausing at great length.
1: Right, uh, even even for breath sometimes. And uh, it's very kind of you to assume that there's some collecting of thoughts going on in there. I certainly do appreciate it. Uh, some people might disagree, but uh, <laughs> that's very kind of. Oh,
0: uh, well. So, uh, well, I got Notepad open here, so I can at least, you know, uh, collect my thoughts in that, that 30 seconds I had. And <laughs> I think I failed. But uh, maybe I can, can try the Adlib thing.
1: I bet you that you're better at this than you think. You're a very smart fellow, I think.
0: Oh, cheers. I hope so so uh my my question the the chicken egg thing is let me i am sorry I'm new to Skype i got to find our, our chat. Where did it go? no, I've lost it anyway oh no here we go okay so if a man uh a man in a coma is not is not morally responsible, and therefore valid moral rules shouldn't incriminate a man in a coma if incriminate is the right word, but I think the other possibility in my mind is that a man in a coma is exempt from moral rules, including valid moral rules, and that would invalidate the coma test.
1: I think so, that's, uh, that's an excellent objection. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit more about it?
0: Uh, I, I can try. Uh, so you mentioned also that Similar to biology, uh, morality isn't an exact science and that there are exceptions like, uh, you know, two-headed horses. I don't, I don't quite know what exactly you were making reference to. But my oh, sorry. That- let me let me just yeah, explain
1: that very briefly. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, there are, there are questions which you cannot answer objectively in the realm of morality. So, for instance, when does a child become a morally responsible agent? right clearly a baby is not right otherwise you know when they pee on you you'd be a little more upset so a baby is clearly not an independent moral agent uh, but uh, you know a 20 year old of average intelligence is so uh, you know at one, is it like midnight when they turn from 17 to 18 that they suddenly become go from like 0% to 100% moral agent i mean it's a gr- it's a shade of gray right i mean there's there's a gray area yeah. in the middle and it's sort of like the difference between seawater and Evian, right? No water is pure, but you know, and there's gradations, but there's still quite a difference between seawater and Evian if you try to drink it. So there are certain yeah, great yeah. areas in morality. Uh, also, the idea of proportional defense, right? So if uh, if you're if you put one little toe on my lawn and I shoot you, that could be considered slightly <laughs> slightly volatile response to trespassing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I mean, is, is a woman who uh, uh, thinks that she might be in a, the danger of getting raped does she have the right to shoot? I mean, it all gets there's there's lots of complications in in ethics, so it's not exactly like physics, or I guess it's more like quantum physics, but but it, it's closer to biology. We we know for sure that a human being is not a horse, but uh, there are, you know there are horses born with two heads. There's unusual situations, so I didn't want to imply that because I've gotten stuck in this sort of area before with people that there are objective lines that you can draw like on graph paper to to sort of decipher good from evil. Certainly, you know, I mean, most of the things that people deal with in their lives are pretty cut and dry. You know, taxation is evil and so war is evil and so on. But there are areas where people get really fussed up around, you know, is it this shade of gray or that shade of gray? And I just sort of point that out to begin with so that people don't get too lost in that. Because, you know, for me, it's like, yes, if you're a nutritionist, it would be great if people ate better and exercised more, but right now we're kind of in the middle of a plague, right? I mean, governments are getting bigger, wars are getting more prevalent, uh, crazy stuff like Islam and fundamentalist Christianity is on the rise. So we've got lots of black and white issues that we have to deal with before we get to all of the gray issues. Now, this coma test I don't consider a gray issue. It's pretty core. But uh, I sort of like to say, yes, there's lots of gray, issue, uh, gray areas in morality which we can get to after we've dealt with, you know, <laughs> let's deal with fire prevention after we put out the raging inferno. That's sort of my <laughs> my sort of Yeah,
0: yeah. But but the validity of the test is uh is pretty fundamental. And that's I, agree, that's the yeah, only I agree. I really want to spend so much time on it.
1: Sure, no, you you're absolutely right to do so because it is very much the difference between a free society and a, a status society because a status society includes positive and moral obligations, right? And the free society does not. And the coma test is just a way to to metaphorize that so it doesn't become too academic. That's true, and probably to get caught up in the specifics isn't
0: uh, a great idea. But uh, so you're saying that, say a child or a baby doesn't have the same moral responsibility as an adult, right? Sure. So we wouldn't uh, or maybe we would we wouldn't invalidate uh, proposed moral rules by applying them to children or babies?
1: Well, no, because uh, uh, you, can, um, uh, you can differentiate species in biology based on objective differences, right? Objective, real, not slight variability differences, like you don't look at a black horse, if you've only seen white horses, and say, what the hell is that? You say, hey, it's a black horse, right? So, yeah. uh, But you're not going to confuse a horse with a platypus, right? So where there are objective biological differences, you can have different rules, right? So you can say, well, children are objectively and biologically different from adults of, of a particular species. So we can classify them differently. We're going to, you know, give them uh, different uh, rules and so on. Uh, and, and that's because there's an objective difference, you know, uh, to, to contrast that, if I say, well, human beings don't have the right to murder, but if I put on this green costume and learn how to salute, then I have the opposite rule of everybody else, right? But, but putting exactly. on a costume, yeah that doesn't change my fundamental nature, whereas being a child has objective biological differences. Putting on a green costume and saluting doesn't change my fundamental nature, so you can't have opposing rules, if that makes sense. Sure, and, and so
0: just as uh, being a child is an objective biological difference and uh, putting on a green uniform isn't an objective biological uh, difference, which is the uh, the basis on which we decide whether or not moral rules are applicable to certain species, isn't being in a coma an objective biological difference?
1: Absolutely. It, it certainly, certainly is. Uh, it certainly, certainly is. But um, it's also, I mean, the coma is an, an exaggeration of the sleep situation, right? Or, which is also, you know, a slight derivation from the idea of the mentally ill and so on, right? So yeah. um, it, it's, it's definitely a permanent condition. Uh, a coma is certainly a bit more of a permanent condition. And uh, it certainly is an objectively uh, biological difference. Uh, and what that means, of course, is you certainly could come up with a moral rule that says, except for people in a coma or who are asleep, and that certainly does have uh, an objective kind of, of biological difference to it. And so let's yeah. let's put that to the test, and that's, you know, perfectly valid and very intelligent objection. So uh, you come up, if you could come up with any kind of moral rule that you would uh, Except someone who's in a coma from, then we could look at it sort of in, in practice. Uh, shall, we, shall we go with the ridiculous one of uh, people should kill? murder. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That's an excellent one. And let's hope that uh, we can't prove it. Because <laughs> that might change quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, lot, bring a two-by-four. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, I mean, of course... The coma test just is one approach, right? And you're absolutely right to say, yes, there's an objective medical difference that is occurring when somebody is is in a coma. So, of course, the challenge with positive moral obligations is that um, it's sort of like jumping rather than breathing, if that sort of makes it. So breathing is a continuous state, right? And that's sort of like thou shalt not kill is a continuous uh, moral commandment that you fulfill by doing everything except killing, right? Thou shalt not is much less restrictive than thou shalt, right? If I say you can live anywhere except in Washington, that's not very restrictive to you, right? If I say you must live in Washington, that's much more restrictive. So the thou shalt not kill is something which you know sleeping people uh, babies uh, people in coma uh, in a coma are all sort of fulfilling thou shalt kill is something which only somebody in the instance of actually taking someone's life like jumping right you, 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 there's a moment in your jump where you hit the highest point you fall down again you gotta rest for bed you jump up again you get tired you fall asleep and so on so when you have a positive prescription like thou shalt kill then a person is only moral in the instant. Which in which they are giving to uh, sorry they they're taking the life from someone one second before someone dies, they're not moral, right, because they could stop <laughs> they haven't killed the person yet yeah right, and then one one second after a millionth of a second after the person has died, they're no longer moral again, right so it's just that one split second that the person crosses over and meets his relatives that the the, the thou shalt is is moral, right. Yep. And so th- that's the challenge when it comes – and the coma test doesn't, you know, doesn't answer all the questions. It's just a way of beginning to, to think about it. But that's the problem that you have with positive moral prescriptions, that only in the instance that you are uh, committing that particular action can you be considered moral. And all of the other instances in which you are, um, uh, in which you are committing uh, – not committing that action, you're, you're less moral. And the other challenge, I, do you want to do you want to respond to that, or there's one other sort of major? Um, thing? I was just going to say maybe if it saves you a bit of time, I I think the
0: the concept that it's not generally valid to create uh, positive, uh, sorry, yeah, positive moral prescriptions. I think I I get that, and I and I don't disagree with that. It's really just, and I'm this is, I'm probably getting caught up in a a not so uh, important specific here just my thinking is that the coma test isn't a valid way of proving that theory or maybe just isn't isn't a very effective way given that i i can't grasp the difference between an uh the objective biological difference of someone with some form of mental retardation and the objective biological difference of somebody in a coma where and we would for say a mentally a mentally retarded person we would exempt them from moral rules which we wouldn't invalidate due to their condition but for the guy in the coma uh we we don't exempt him from the moral rule instead we prove the moral rule invalid and it's just that line of logic that's right that's right. getting me tied up yeah but well, there's make a sense? little bit of it-
1: there's a little bit of, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. There's a little bit of a difference between uh, somebody who's, like if we say thou shalt not kill, then the guy in the coma doesn't right, doesn't kill and he's fine. Um, and the person who's, you know, fully conscious, who in a nasty way plans out some murder and carries it out, obviously has some sort of moral responsibility if you know, they fulfill other criteria like they knew it was wrong, they tried to hide the body, whatever, and they had financial motive or whatever. But yeah. the difference is that somebody who's retarded we don't uh, we, we exempt them from the moral judgment, but we don't exempt them from the moral rule. In other words, if somebody who's retarded runs around strangling children, we don't just say, "Well, he's not responsible. Look the other way." right I mean, the society would still have to do something to prevent that recurrence. It just wouldn't do it in the sense of punishment. It would be sort of like if you have a dog that bites every baby it sees that dog probably would have to be taken someplace safe, whether that's, you know, the woods yeah, or the afterlife, yeah. I don't know, right? But you wouldn't say, that dog is evil, right? That dog is violating the moral rules and the social contract and so on. You'd just say, well, that's that's bad, right? The same reason we don't wear tinfoil helmets during a lightning storm. It's not that the lightning is evil. We just don't want the consequences, right? So um, I think the moral rules, thou shalt not kill, still apply to people who are mentally retarded it 's just that we don 't blame them as sort of free will and morally choosing actors of their own decisions and so on. Right? We just recognize that you know a schizophrenic might think that uh, you know his kids are you know in danger of being eaten by the Year of the Virgin Mary or something and might try and put them into a small trunk or, you know, whatever, right? And yeah. clearly it's not a man who's reasoning uh, through anything, but we still would have to restrain him from, from doing that, right? So the moral rules still do apply to where there are, but where there are biological differences like mental illness, retardation, schizophrenia, and so on. Then we, we still have a responsibility to act, but it's just not with the same kind of moral judgment. But do we,
0: do we then say, given that the moral rule is applicable to that person, and from a biological standpoint uh we'll say they cannot help violating that rule which is the reason that we don't uh pass moral judgment on them to the same extent we don't then decide that the rule itself was invalid because one of the human species is uh unable to avoid uh violating the rule
1: do you know what i mean I think, Sorry, I, did, I, don't want to think take I think you went circles. one one one. You think you went one step further than my little brain can, can handle. So if you could just go through that a bit more slowly. Yeah, for sure. Sorry, I'm I'm uh, making it up in my own brain as I go. No, I no. think this, it's very good.
0: It's very good. So, some somebody who's mentally retarded. Say we'll will assume if if this is all right, we'll assume that they cannot help but kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So then. Our universally applicable rule, which is "thou shalt not kill," is uh, this person is unable to avoid uh, moral judgment, right? Because of a uh, because of a, a
1: variation in the human norm, yeah, yeah. Uh, not a moral judgment, but they they are, they're still violating a moral rule. They're just not responsible, right? Yeah. Uh, but from that, okay. So we've got we've got some person
0: who from a biological standpoint is something different from the norm and they can't help because of this condition they can't help violating a moral rule which is the same as in my mind some guy in a coma he is something biologically different from the norm and if we had uh, a positive assertion as a moral rule he would he would be unable to avoid breaking that moral rule got it but for the first instance with the the mentally retarded person, we don't therefore say uh we don't then say therefore the moral rule must be invalid. Right. We just say, well, that person is uh to some extent exempt from that moral rule. Got but it. with the case of the guy in the coma, we instead of saying, Well, I guess the the moral rule that you should kill somebody every day or something like that uh, we don't say that. I guess that rule doesn't apply to him in the, to the same extent, but the rule is still valid. We right. take a logical standpoint and say, "Well, because of this coma guy, the rule is invalid, and
1: therefore applies to nobody." Right. You have you My my reasoning. I think I, I think I do. And I, I you know, have you ever seen the movie Brazil? You ever seen the movie Brazil? Ah uh, no, I haven't. Uh, in the movie Brazil, and, and this is just a metaphor about how my brain works and I was sort of patiently waiting for, it. they have this, and this is, this is what used to occur in the 50s as well in offices, there'd be these tubes in the wall and you would put uh, your little document in the tubes and they would be whisked up a floor or down a floor and so on and they'd just spill out on someone's desk. Um, when I get a really brilliant and challenging question, which of course is that coma test question, um, I sort of have to just sit there dumbly staring at the tube that comes up from my, my unconscious. <laughs> hey any time you want to kick up an answer that would be great you know but and, and I just got a tube so to speak so let me just sort of go over why uh, I think that uh, a, a, at least a possible answer for an absolutely excellent question that that you know be perfectly frank completely stumped me there for like 5 or 10 minutes and it may have still continued to stump me but let me sort of explain what uh, what I'm thinking of and you can tell me if it makes any sense. Yeah go for it. What what the coma test as a as a as a metaphor does is it says if you're going to put a, a positive moral obligation onto people, what happens when they can't fulfill it? I mean that that really is sort of the the criteria that the coma test brings about, right? So if somebody says you know you should kill, well somebody in a coma can't kill, right? So when you put forward a positive moral obligation, then the coma test says how are you going to deal? with the situation wherein somebody is unable to fulfill your positive obligation does that sort of make sense yeah yeah okay so uh, you're absolutely right that uh, you could make up a rule which says a person in a coma is exempt from my positive moral obligation because they're unable to fulfill it right yeah
0: just as uh, we've made just as we've made the rule that a person with mental retardation is to some extent
1: exempt from uh, would you call them negative moral prescriptions? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it would certainly be yeah, moral prescriptions. I call it sort of universally preferable behavior, like thou shalt not kill or whatever. But yeah, moral yeah. rules we can just sort of say for the sake of, uh, of ease. So what the coma test helps bring out is into, or brings into the conversation is the challenge, what happens if you put forward a positive moral prescription and somebody is unable to fulfill it? Now, the coma test is just the most obvious example of someone who, you know, can barely keep their own heart beating, let alone get up and strangle a nurse or something, right, in the sort of yeah. moral thing that we're talking about. But I can think of, you know, we could spend a week, we won't, <laughs> we could spend a week <laughs> going over all of the reasons where, why people could not uh, fulfill the thou shalt not, the, 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 the uh, thou shalt kill commandment, right, so, um, uh, you know, people who live alone. Uh, people, it's like somebody who lives alone in the woods can't find someone to kill every day. I mean, just sort of yeah. one one example of many, right? Uh, somebody who's in a um, uh, a full body cast can't can't find someone to kill. Someone who's surrounded by people who are much stronger than he or she is, going to have a little bit of trouble getting them to put their neck in his hands and you know help him squeeze or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. So and, and you you could you could sort of go on all day. Uh, people who are blind who can't find people who, you know, to kill or, you know, whatever, right? Uh, the people who have arthritis and can't strangle, you know, there's just millions of of, of ways in which people can't uh, fulfill that uh, moral obligation, right? And yeah. that, that that the coma test, you're absolutely right. You know, there's an objective biological difference and so on. Um, but the problem then becomes, when you have a positive moral obligation, you have to invent a rule which says, it's, if we, we take something like give to the poor, which is probably a little bit more common than you know, strangle someone every day or whatever, when somebody is unable to fulfill that moral commandment, then they can't be judged negatively in terms of morality. They, they, and you can't even punish them really, right? I yeah. mean, if you say you should give to the poor and you have no money to give to the poor, you can't say, well, you're bad. Right? You say, well, you you can't do it, right? So a positive moral obligation. I I mean, just just for this, because I do believe in certain kinds of preferential behavior that's positive, like tell the truth or whatever, right? Which is a little bit more specific than don't kill someone, right? Uh, yeah. I think that, but that, those are those to me are preferences. Like it's nice to have not like you can't shoot someone for lying, but you can shoot someone who's trying to kill you or whatever, right? So. Um, there are positive moral prescriptions, I think, but they're a little bit more on the side of aesthetics or preferential stuff or nice to have, like it's a positive moral prescription not to pick your nose at dinner, as I keep finding out. So, uh, you know, that's sort of a – but that's more around the realm of aesthetics and politeness and, you know, preferential behavior for society and so on. But when it comes to sort of the core moral rules of society, which, you know, bring the guns out, like self-defense and don't rape, but you can shoot someone who's going to try and rape you or whatever – then I yeah. think that's where the challenge arises. And if you're going to have positive moral obligations that are universal, then you, you end up having to create so many exceptions that they no longer are a universal moral rule and everything becomes subjective, if that makes sense. Because everyone could claim, yeah, yeah. well, it's impossible for me to find some guy to strangle today, so I'm, I'm exempt from this moral rule. Like It becomes impossible to maintain it from a standpoint of universality, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, so you end up having to add that uh, a justifier to the extent
1: to which you are able, or, or something that like that, that money towards waters. Well, and you can see that when when governments turn from the original Lockean fantasy of they're just there to protect your property, right, and they then start to turn towards positive moral obligations, right. So when governments are essentially In the minarchist fantasy, right, there are tiny little things that just have, you know, a sheriff and a jail and a court maybe, and they sit around until somebody's rights gets violated, in which case that person goes to complain to them and says, I need you to punish whoever violated my rights. That's uh, sort of one aspect of things where governments don't get too complicated. But as soon as governments are like, you know, it's a positive moral obligation to help the poor and the sick and the old and to fund soldiers and to, you know, do all of this. Yeah, yeah. fund people in Africa and foreign aid and all this kind of stuff, then what you see is, of course, you get this incredible asymptotic complexity in terms of legislation because, you know, you get these tax codes because there are so many exceptions to every single rule once you create positive moral obligations, right? So, I mean, there is a a logical problem insofar as you're saying this is universally preferable behavior, which has to be the definition, I think, of ethics. And now here's like 10,000 volumes of all the exceptions to that. It's sort of like saying you know here's um, you know here's my definition of a horse, uh, says the biologist, oh, and by the way, here's ten thousand exceptions to that definition. Well, it's like if there's that many exceptions, it really can't be called a definition if that makes basically, the biologist is yeah. saying you know a, a dark horse that's twelve cubit high is a horse, you know twelve point one is not a horse, and you know ash ash gray or palomino is not a horse, and at some point it becomes so complex that it's no longer a concept, if that makes sense,
0: yeah, yeah. So I think I'm seeing now much clearer that the virtue of the coma test isn't uh sort of an infallible line of logic which which disproves uh positive moral prescriptions, but really it just brings out uh or brings into light the fact that positive moral prescriptions run into so many inevitable exceptions that really they just become opinion. Uh, yeah, they just become opinion and and really just aesthetic
1: things. Which right. I, I totally agree with. Right. And, and in which case, of course, and this to me, I think, is part of the magic of the – you've heard about or talked about the DRO concept. That's something that – yep, yep, Yeah. So, I mean, the DRO concept is like that, right? So, I mean, you could join a DRO in your neighborhood that says everyone has to paint their garages you know, pitch black or like the jaws of a shark or whatever, right? And, and that's not universally moral behavior, but it's something that everyone, particular shark lovers or whatever, might might prefer – and the DRO thing allows you to codify the positive moral obligations that, that you may wish to have in your community or your neighborhood or whatever. Um, but it's a contract, right? You enter into that voluntarily. And the universal preferred yeah, exactly. there is you keep your contracts, right? It's not the content. It's the form of the contract.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I, you, I, I can't I can't get over how nice it is to have everything neat and tidy and objective I, I, uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just
1: don't see how that could fail. Well, tell me uh, now. Tell me, if you don't mind, if you have a little bit more time, tell me about your. Uh, you said you had a conversation with somebody about libertarianism. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't feel really as if I could claim it as as something I truly believe at the moment, given that, I mean, not only am I new to libertarianism, but new to really taking much interest in politics. Right, and, and you uh, didn't
1: start with the easiest stuff, right? I mean, this isn't exactly... Well, uh, she, she didn't start with the easiest stuff.
0: Sorry? She didn't start with the easiest stuff. She's uh, very enthusiastic about uh, migrants and yeah, immigration and, uh, you know, hom- homeless people and all that sort of stuff. So, you know.
1: Enthusiastic gets, about them, like she thinks there should be more of them, or...?
0: Oh, like she's just desperate to get into that, that line of work and, and help the homeless people and, and do all sorts of stuff. I
1: mean... That's a that's her, her thing. She loves wow. it. And, and sorry, who oh. was this? You don't have to give a name, but
0: oh, an ex-girlfriend of all things. If if we needed more, more fuel for the fire.
1: Right, right. Well, my uh, my wife was worked with a lot of social workers, so and she knows quite a bit about the personality type. Not to be overgeneralizing, but the ex part might be a real blessing. But anyway, go on with your conversation. How did that go?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, inevitably, before I could really get to what i what i feel is the the good stuff of libertarianism being you know uh everything being objective and uh only voluntary association things like this i mean we we all already got caught up on things like you know how are we going to take care of the sick and the poor and the old and all all those sorts of things right which uh well to me that i mean libertarian stand libertarianism stands pretty solid and then people should uh May take these difficult questions to it, and then those are questions to be answered. But when you start off, you know that's that's the first question to answer. It's not, oh yeah, no, no good I've, I've it, had that but, one yeah. a few
1: times. Always followed by, but then DROs just become governments, right? And it's civil war, and Mel Gibson is, has to be your best friend, and yeah, you know, all this kind of stuff. Ah,
0: right? uh, you must have had this conversation before.
1: Oh yeah, no, uh, only about a million <laughs> times. And so, how did yeah. you uh, how did you approach this this tricky question of of helping the poor in the absence of a centralized state? Um. I argued that,
0: as as you did. Well, I don't know to the extent to which I'm just regurgitating things, which doesn't sit right really with me. But if if I'm regurgitating things, I believe I guess that's all right. But uh, yeah, arguing that the state doesn't necessarily take care of the poor as well as it could. You know, the methods that it employs aren't as good as they could be. Also that. Uh, whether or not we feel that it's right, forced association or or being forced to help the poor, isn't a moral f- isn't moral. I mean that that argument wasn't wasn't going to go over with her for a second
1: because she thinks that you know <laughs> right. So you're saying importance of a break right, yeah. Come again? Right. Well, then then she's like, oh, so basically you're saying I'm joining the poverty SS, right? It's like well, that that can be tricky for sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and she's saying, well. Uh, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Sure. And, well, to some extent, maybe maybe they do. I don't well, know. That's I true. Mean-
1: that certainly is true. It certainly is true, but- and it certainly is true that the more that state power grows, the more that that happens. Everyone yeah. blames the free market for what the government does, right? The free market is like the younger brother that can't quite talk yet. And every time a lamp goes down from the older brother, uh, the younger brother gets blamed. I mean, that's just inevitable, right? Because the free market doesn't have a voice, but all the government workers do, right? So, I mean, and the academics, yeah, yeah. So, right? But anyway, go on.
0: Uh oh, I forgot where I was now. Uh,
1: oh, yeah, you were so just about, sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. and. and... I mean, maybe that's the case with with libertarianism. I'm not quite sure I'm sure you could explain it to me, but even if that were the case i if that if that's uh you know congruent with valid moral theories, then you know so be it. I mean smart people are smarter and less intelligent people are are less intelligent, and that's not exactly fair, but I don't know, that's the way it is. What are you going to do?
1: right yeah that i don 't argument, I don't that see that the argument will never work with a woman i i, I don 't mean to be overly sexist, but the the oh, well. uh, the rough and the rough and tumble wild west you know <laughs> live and let live and let die evolutionary argument I certainly agree with you uh, at, at a fundamental level, but i, yeah. I just i don 't know if it's a hard hardwired thing and i 'm sure i 'll get you know if we publish this as a podcast i 'm sure we 'll get lots of complaints, but I just don't find that argument works that well with women, and the reason for that generally is that it's easy to be the in- independent Darwinian fellow, but you know if you if you keep getting disabled with pregnancies and need to be taken care of and so on, uh, <laughs> women have a kind of distaste for that sort of uh, live and let de- live and de- let die capitalist ethic, if that makes sense.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I can I can understand that, especially this one.
1: So uh, yeah, it didn't work. No, that ring, right? rings very true. Right, right. Right. So, well, you uh, could. Do you mind if I throw a, an idea your way? Just see if if yeah, uh, yeah. you want to? Uh, so I can give you more to regurgitate. Right. <laughs> Let me just well, lean well, over I, and program the back of your head. Uh, but you could. You could try. This. If if you can try working with metaphors, particularly with women. I mean, I just think you need to adjust. At least I found it useful to adjust my conversation with women, um, and sort of say that uh, uh, work with metaphors that are a little bit closer to to women's hearts than some of the doggy dog capitalist stuff. Uh, and, and say, well, you know, it's, it's generally nicer if people have happy marriages, right? If if people get married and, and live uh, in love and, and, and it's preferable. And, of course, you know, there's not many, maybe a couple of radical feminists to whom heterosexual marriage is institutionalized rape. I don't think she's one of those. But... Um, uh, they will say, yeah, it's better. You know, it, I would prefer it if people had happy marriages and so on, right? They say, well, yeah, so would I, right? I'd prefer it if people had happy marriages and and got along and you know had their fifty-year anniversaries and cake and all that. And to say, well, sure. So so we have this thing that we would both prefer, that we think would be better. And of course, it is better for the kids if the parents are happily married, and it's better for the economy Uh, because, you know, divorce is messy and expensive and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's better for the kids as a whole and more stable. So, you know, we have this preferable thing that we would like in society, which is happy marriages. And yet you would probably not think it would be a good idea, oh, lady friend of mine, if the government chose your partner for you and forced you to get married. And if you didn't get married to whoever the government chose, then you would get thrown in jail, right? That that would not be a decent or reasonable way to deal with the problem of how to create happy marriages, right? Yeah. And so she would agree with that for sure. I mean, no woman is going to say, yes, let, let, uh, let the government <laughs> choose my maids, and if I don't Pick get married, team, thrown in jail, right? But of course, that's exactly what she's proposing when it comes to helping the poor. We would all prefer that there not be poor and unhappy people in the world, for sure. Right, but the solution is not to force people to obey a particular program run by the government or throw them in jail. Right? There's a, yeah. It's a lot more complex than that, and it's a lot more challenging than just pointing guns at people and say, "Do this." And the problem, you, you may think that the problem is getting solved, right? Like if you, uh, <laughs> you know, if you say, "Well, we want to create happy marriages," and then the government forces people to get married, and anybody who says, "I'm unhappy," gets thrown in jail. Well, lickety split, boy, doesn't it look like? you've just created all these happy marriages because there's all these people walking around married who have these fixed grins on their faces who, (laughs) you know, like, I'm so happy I could spit, you know, (laughs) that's what they're going to say, right? But you haven't really solved the problem. What you've done is you've just forced people to obey a particular set of rules, basically on threat of violence, right? You're thrown in jail if you don't say you're happy and don't stay married. And that's what happens with poverty programs, right? So, um, it's, it's a lot more complex, a lot more messy if you think that you're solving poverty by pointing guns at people and forcing them to obey certain welfare programs or certain redistribution income schemes or whatever, then it's no more likely to work than forcing people to get and stay married and say that they're happy is likely to produce you know, a uh, a whole swack load of happy marriages. In fact, it's just going to make things appear better while actually making them worse. And I think if she can make that connection, and I'm not saying you can do it that easily, but that's a metaphor that I found. that, no, it can that sounds like a good one. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, well, it's de- a challenge, just, you know. It's, a, it's not so much a challenge to know the truth. It's a challenge to get the truth across to people in a way that works for them. That's the real sweat yeah, yeah. for me. Yeah,
0: sh- shouting of a bar doesn't help either, but, you know, it right. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't too big a deal.
1: Well, at least you get straight to shouting, and you don't have to go through the inevitable slow escalation. Just kidding. Oh, yeah.
0: how, how does my voice sound? Does it sound like I've been uh, shouting for a few hours?
1: I thought you were just uh, like a heavy metal singer, so I was going to ask you to belt out a few tunes. but
0: uh... Oh, that's true, but I'll save it. <laughs> the, the other thing she... Uh, oh, I also touched, of course, on, uh, you know, well, there can be private donations and... Or if there's not, you know, forced uh, wealth distribution and that sort of thing, uh, then, you know, there can still be private donations and there will still be money. Money for for poor people and sick people and that sort of thing, and uh, if if people aren't you know being forced to pay tax for these sorts of things, they'll have higher incomes and then be more prone to or more willing to give to charity, as you know. Statistics, according to Stefan, say so. Which I'll, <laughs> right. I'll trust you on that one. Stat stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, how did that work? Well, that was met with with a fair bit of skepticism, which I couldn't really counter.
1: Right. No, I I don't think that's a good approach. I mean, I I totally understand it. And it's a non-controversial approach. But I don't think that that's what I call the argument from effect. Um, And that uh, that doesn't work. At least I have not found maybe there's some way to make it work. I've never been able to find a way uh, to to make it work. Another thing that you can say is that, you know, do you think that people should be allowed to disagree with other people without getting thrown in jail? Right. Now, if somebody says, no, I think that people who disagree with me should be thrown in jail, i you know, the next word out of my mouth would be check. (laughs) Right, right. right. Thanks. It's been a slice. Let me hope I get out of here without any bullet holes. So, you know, every sane human being is going to say, yes, I think that people should be allowed to disagree with each other without getting shot. Right. So I said, so if you have one way to solve poverty, which is to get money from people and to give it to the poor, and I have a different way that I would like to solve poverty, right I certainly would I like I would have no problem with your ex-girlfriend going around to people saying if you give me 10 percent of your income I'm gonna solve poverty you know sign here on the dotted line and away she goes right I would never say boy if you do that I think you should be thrown in jail right and so uh, but at the same way if if I don't think that's a good way to help poverty am I allowed to disagree with you without being thrown in jail right like if, if if I believe genuinely and totally like I care about the poor you care about the poor we'd all be slightly happier if not much happier If there were fewer poor or poor had more opportunities. So if I disagree with the way that you want to solve poverty, am I allowed to disagree with you without getting thrown in jail? Now, they have to say yes, right? I mean, nobody except like, I don't know, Stalin's granddaughter or something, (laughs) nobody's going to say, no, you can't. And then you've just won the argument, right? Because as soon as you said, I have to be allowed to disagree with you, I have to have that right. I'm certainly willing to extend that right to you. You must as basic common courtesy, extend that right to me, well, you've just killed the welfare state, right? Because the welfare state is, we do it this way, and if you don't pay the taxes for it, you get thrown in jail. Right? So yeah. you have if, to be able if to... If accept... Sorry? Well, I was going
0: to... If they accept the premise that uh, universally preferable behavior is also applicable to the government.
1: Well, um, which is sure, elected sure by but vote, I mean, the consequences are the same, right? The, if, if she certainly, she has to say, because it's she, she believes that the government should do it this way, right? So yeah, she, you can just say, can I disagree with you without being thrown in jail, right? It's like, well, if I can disagree with you, then I disagree with you based on this program, which means I must be able to disagree with the program, but the government doesn't let me disagree with the program. Because the yeah. problem is that the metaphor generally is put forward that You know that the left-wingers care about the poor and the libertarians or the right-wingers care about freedom, and it's sort of the opposite, right? I've got mine, screw the poor is the way that libertarians are portrayed. And I I mean I think quite the opposite is true. I think that libertarians really do care about the poor because when the market is freer, right? I mean poverty was being reduced 1% a year after the Second World War in America, and that stopped when the welfare state came in, as you would naturally expect, right? So poverty was being helped by the free market, and then when the welfare state came in, people stopped getting poor, uh, stopped getting out of poverty, and now they get stuck in it, right? So um, the free market has a much better empirical track record of dealing with poverty than all the government programs in the world, right? And so, I mean, but people don't like those facts because it seems kind of risky and it goes against their moral – you have to find some agreement in the element of morality in order to really gain traction with people, I think.
0: Yeah, to start with what they agree with, and then then build on that. Yeah, yeah. So how? But how would you counter? Sorry, I'm backtracking uh, no, no at problem. least a few minutes. Yeah, how would you counter the argument from effect if they're arguing that well, if if we do it this way, then you know all the all the poor people are gonna die because there's no no money from the government, no forced association, basically, or right. no, uh, yeah. you know, forced wealth distribution
1: redistribution. So that's the argument from effect, isn't it? Uh, It is the argument from effect, for sure. And uh, the first thing, I mean, there's a number of different ways of dealing with it. And it depends, you know, what your level of time and so on is. Uh, First of all, I'd ask someone, well, is that is that an opinion of yours? Or is that a fact? Like, is that just something you think might happen? You know, like, maybe you think there's boogeyman under the bed when you're five? Is that something like, is that a scare thing that you're afraid is going to happen? Or is that something that you absolutely genuinely and certainly know will happen? Right like if there 's no government programs, the poor will d- die in the streets and whatever, whatever right Now, yeah. if they say well it 's just something i 'm afraid of," right, then you can say, "Well, the evidence counters that, right? The poor tend to do better. Uh, in fact, almost universally, the poor do a whole lot better when um, welfare programs aren 't trapping them in poverty and government schools aren 't trapping them in ignorance, and you know the special favors that big corporations get aren't trapping them. Uh, in uh, bad jobs and taxation isn't trapping them in low incomes, I mean, the poor do a lot better when they're free, right? The poor are not sheep, right? The poor are not um, slaves, right? They're not like retarded herds of people that we have to keep in pens, right? They do totally fine with freedom, right? They can handle being free. So if they say, well, it's just I'm scared or whatever, and if they say it, well, it's a total fact, they'd say, well, what are your statistics, Right? right and yeah. if somebody's basing their whole argument on statistics and you don't have any luck with the argument for morality you can just ask them for their statistics you know what's your source right how do you know that this is true like what's your proof right and then they'll yeah. say well you know in the industrial revolution the poor with this with that the other it's like oh well that's interesting because you can't compare the industrial revolution to today right you have to compare the industrial revolution to something that came before right like you don't say to somebody who's really sick from chemotherapy that the doctor is killing them, right? You compare it to them dying of cancer and say, well, they're still alive. Right? That's better. Yeah. So you have to, and so you just ask them, ask them a series of questions about where they get their facts, and you'll very quickly find that they don't have any real facts, right? That just, this is just a scare story that, that is believed, right? So that's sort of one. You have to chisel away at people's certainty. If you can't create any doubt in someone, you can't teach them anything, right? Like if they're absolutely certain of something, then they're never going to learn because there's no – Right. There's no reason like asking somebody who's like 100 pounds to go on a diet if they're not anorexic. I'm already thin. Right. So. So that's sort of one one approach that 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 um, uh, that you can take to that sort of question of, well, they're all stuff. The other thing that you can do is use the argument from hypocrisy. Right. Which is to say, well, you care about the poor. Right. You'd say to your girlfriend, well, yes, of course, I'm this is why we're talking about this. I totally care about the poor. Right. So. So then you say, so you'd help them. Right. Like if the government wasn't there. Because otherwise, it would be completely hypocritical, right? (laughs) She says, I care about the poor, (laughs) but if there were no government programs, I wouldn't lift a finger to help them. it would be like, well, then you don't care about the poor, right? (laughs) That's sort of like, that's that's just basic logic, right? So she'd have to say, yes, I do care about the poor. And then you say, and do you think that you're the only person who cares about the poor, right? And if she says, well, the people who care about the poor are in a tiny minority, right? And then you'd say, well... Exactly what she'd say. Well, sure. But then she has the logical problem of saying, well, if people who want to help the poor are in a tiny minority, how did the welfare state get voted in? Right, because in a democracy, if the people who want to help the poor are a tiny minority, then welfare programs would never get voted in, right? Yeah. Right, so... I, I mean, it's my belief that people do care about the poor, and it's their desire to help the poor that have resulted in the poor being sold down the river for the sake of illusory conscience, the, the illusory comfort of conscience, right? But. But she'd have have to say, look, if you want a democratic solution, you have to assume that the majority of people care about the poor, right? I mean she have to because otherwise she's going to have to advocate a dictatorship of people who care about the poor and that's that's deranged, right? I mean if she goes to that level, then she's never going to change her opinion about anything because she's kind of mental. I'm not saying she is, right? (laughs) But if she says, I want to put the poor in charge of Stalin, right, (laughs) under Stalin's care or whatever, that is not going to work. So she's going to have to advocate a democratic solution, right? And so a democratic solution means the majority of people want to help the poor, right? And um, uh, so she wants to help the poor. Lots and lots of other people want to help the poor, and they will help the poor, right? So yeah. the idea that the poor aren't going to get help in the absence of blood money being moved around at the point of a gun is not true, right? And you know the more you debate this with people – The more every single person says, "What about the poor?" Like if I had, if no one had ever asked me, "What about the poor?", I'd be a little less certain about this approach, right? (laughs) Because then it'd be like, (laughs) but But every single human being asks about the poor and the sick and the old, and every everyone cares, right? And uh, it certainly is empirically true that when taxes go down, charitable donations go up. It certainly is empirically true that charities have a far better record of getting people out of poverty than the government does. And so, um, yeah, I think uh, if she says, "Well, who will help the poor?" I'd be like, "Well, you and everyone who voted for the social programs. Either you will help the poor, in which case the poor are going to be taken care of and far better than they are right now, mm-hmm. or you're not going to help the poor, in which case you've got no right demanding that other people do it. Use guns to do it. Like, if you're not even going to lift your finger, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you've got no right to say that uh,
1: this thing that you're proposing is is bad because the, the poor won't be taken care of. Right? Because you obviously don't care, right? <laughs> So, so that's just, I mean, there's a couple of different ways, ways to do it, but, uh, but you can also, again, you know, just, just so you don't end up having to run around doing all this infinite research about the rates of poverty in the 12th century or whatever, you can also just say, well, I know that you, you think that there should be collective action. You can put it as nicely as you want. You, you say, say to your ex-girlfriend, you believe that there should be collective action to help the poor. I disagree. Am I allowed to disagree with you without being thrown in jail? Right. And you that, that can be the answer to everything. And it really will get annoying to people. But you stick to your guns cause, or stick to your non-guns, I guess. Right? <laughs> but that's the important. Like you can answer every objection with uh, you and I have different opinions. Right. The beautiful thing about libertarianism or, you know, anarcho-capitalism is you and I can have different opinions and both be happy and both pursue and you know, if I'm, if my way of helping the poor, i.e. spending my money, starting companies or whatever, turns out to be better than your way or some combination of my way and your way turns out to be better, fantastic, right? That's what will happen. But am I allowed to disagree with you without getting thrown in jail? Right? That That's what the whole question of statism versus freedom comes down to. Can we disagree without me being thrown in jail? And not about like, you know, can I rape you or something, Right? but just about ways yeah. to solve really complex problems like poverty, right? So she says, well you know, they won't be taken care of. It's like, well, I think they will be taken care of. Am I allowed to disagree with you without getting thrown in jail? And because people always want to deal with these abstracts and statistics and not recognize the simple reality that there's a gun in the room, right? There's a gun in the room. Whenever you talk about the government, people are getting thrown in jail, and they always want to ignore that and focus on statistics and helping the poor and so on, which obscures that central issue that you're using force to solve problems.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well I think uh yeah next time I I chat with her which I hope will be soon. I don't think I, I pushed her too far away. Uh, no no
1: listen it sounds like you did a very very good job and uh you enjoyed it right that's the important thing right cuz you know the, if you end up beating your head against the wall it sort of gets frustrating right so but just I, I'll tell you in advance like when you start talking about can I disagree with you without being thrown in jail things get volatile very quickly just be prepared <laughs> for the emotional volatility of that people you get really upset at you. Oh yeah, because because you're bringing out a sort of core immorality that people kind of know deep down. Like they really get it deep down, because otherwise they'd just be like, "Wow, I never thought of that before." <laughs> you know, like they, they, but they don't. They get really hostile because deep down they know that they're trying to use force to solve problems, but they want you to pretend that they're not right so they can feel like yeah. good people but when you bring that up and and you know don't even get me started on what this does to people's family issues and so on right they, they don't learn from the government that you have to pretend that bullying is not being used right they learn this from families so again you know more about our family history than i do but it tends to get right down to the core and be very personal for people so just just be alert to that if maybe it won't happen but often it does yeah for sure
0: all right man i'll tell you what it's just hit uh 4 a.m. So
1: no really oh my what god. Am I doing? Sorry. Let me <laughs> nah, I
0: mean, no, nah, I, I pre- I've enjoyed it very much and uh plenty of the good stuff. So
1: great. I'm thanks going a lot. I did record this. I'm going to uh, I won't post it though. I'll give you a chance to listen to it just in case there's anything you want to change. I don't think there was anything personal, but uh, just have a listen.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks.
1: Okay. Thanks, man. Happy have yourself a good night. Yeah, you do. Cheers.